Hello and welcome to the Infosys Applied AI podcast. In this show, we host our clients, partners, and Infosys Applied AI professionals who are doing some remarkable work in this exciting space of AI and cognitive automation. We explore what does it take to build successful scaled AI journeys and how the industry is evolving to make this a reality. Welcome on board. Today I'm here to talk about another uh, interesting and and rather evolving topic in in the space of ai uh, it is called mlops and uh, we are here to to sort of demystify this this concept of mlops and i have today along with me uh, two of my colleagues from infosys uh, amit and kaushal they are they are a part of our ai practice solution architecture team i think uh, without much ado i'll let uh, my guests introduce themselves amit over to you hi abiram uh, nice to be on this uh, session with you I am Amit Gaukar from Infosys, AVP and Principal Architect, uh, responsible for technology solutions for AI and automation practice with Infosys. And I over to you, Kaushal. Hi, uh, hi, Viram. Hi, Amit. I'm uh, Kaushal, and I'm a Principal Architect, working with uh, Amit uh, and Infosys AI uh, Center of Excellence, where we basically work on uh, my my expertise areas of expertise happens to be ML ops, text analytics, etc. great thank you thank you both of you for for taking time out for this conversation uh let's let's actually get started so we we've been in fact i've been particularly hearing of this this term mlops and there's there's a lot of uh, especially on on forums like linkedin or or elsewhere i've seen multiple people talk about it uh let's start with just the pure definition of it so what does mlops mean in layman terms uh, amit if i may ask you so i think it is easier to explain it through an example so uh, one of our customers recently they came said that uh, they have actually created a machine learning model right and which can detect a fire and smoke in their factories right now typically when people create such a machine learning model they will take a data set maybe they would have taken 20 or 30000 images and they would have created a object detection or, or some kind of a computer vision model uh, which work pretty well on this kind of a data set and they said that now they are ready to deploy it in the production right now this is only the development part people are mostly worried about the accuracy or how good is the machine learning model right mm-hmm. but when you want to deploy such models in production right there are going to be whole lot of new challenges and new skills that are required like for example in this case suppose you have a model right which can detect a smoke in a factory right and you have to put it in a production right the uh, first thing is you have to expose it in the form of a service so when a video stream is coming in you have to look at every frame and figure out whether this model detects whether there is a fire or not right so you need to convert your machine learning model into a service right then there can be large number of cameras right so it cannot be deployed as a python code somewhere on somebody's desktop right it has to be deployed in a manner that it is completely scalable right uh, third thing is over a period of time you will come across new types of data right and you are not t- talking about a static data maybe 20000 30000 images but you should be able to keep changing the model so now the data has to be dynamically created and it should be fed into the model so this whole thing uh, which is about before the model is getting created and after the model is getting deployed right starting from data to training the model to deploying the model and finally entering the model right so this whole thing is actually covered by the process called as mlops and to a large extent it needs to be automated great great no thanks uh, very very um, 
insightful in terms of how you explain the the overall life cycle so it looks like a life cycle it's something but to me it sounds as though this this should have been the focus for, for as always right so why is it that this topic is being so relevant right now like what has changed over the past uh, few years for this to suddenly get into the limelight yeah so that's a very interesting question and i think we are uncovering that so so far lot of people were focused on creating the models and saying that whether ai can play a role in my use case right so it was mostly experimental and now we are seeing that enterprises are getting to a point where they want to actually deploy these models in production right and once you want to deploy in a, the model in a production then you actually end up with lot of complexities which have to be handled through ml ops right and i will just maybe list down few of them so the first thing like we said is that taking the model and deploying into production is quite complex it requires different type of skills right so there is no way you can create this model every time and then go through this entire cycle of creating a container out of it creating a service out of it making it scalable right and this whole thing if it is done manually then it is very time consuming it is very expensive right so the complexity is one factor why you need to have your ml ops infrastructure uh, the second right. part is the overall thing about the governance right now imagine that you have 10 or 20 models like this that you want to deploy right then you need to make sure that all of these models are going through a standard set of process there is a independent qa that is being done on top of that the lot of organizations have data related policies so things like data security traceability of the model you should not end up with a situation where model says something on monday and it says something on wednesday right so those kind of trust related issues have to be handled third thing about uh, if a model is deployed into production over a period of time its accuracy may go down right so you need to check whether the model is drifting particularly when it is exposed to newer set of data which is not seen before right so a lot of issues around the governance needs to be handled and again all of these aspects need to be automated and if you are combining the complexity and governance and then think that if you were to have say 1000 models in future right then it is a completely unmanageable problem if this whole ml ops process is not automated right so when you think of this problem not as a use case level but think of it as a enterprise scale problem that in 18 months 24 months lot of our customers are going to have 1000 models in production right then this is the right time to actually start putting up a ml ops kind of an infrastructure got it got it so the 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 gist that i take away from your answer is uh that because we are now entering a space where ai is truly scaling the, to achieve yeah. and address the scale aspect that's that's where something like this becomes relevant the, the same way as devops started being relevant when say application deployment and you know that that started to happen at scale uh, i i yeah. hope that's that's the that's that's the gist yes absolutely got yeah. it got it okay so uh maybe you you mentioned amit of the overall life cycle right so let's let's go a little deeper into what this life cycle or this methodology is and maybe kaushal i'll i'll redirect this to you uh how do you what are the different stages of this life cycle and and you know how exactly is our organizations actually going through this life cycle today what sort of tools skills are are being at, are put at play here sure um and uh, i think it's a it's a great question and introduction by amit right uh, where and and you draw a parallel around devops right so i think it's it's at the start of the session right i i just want to mention that yes it's a good analogy but it's not a perfect analogy right mm-hmm. i mean uh, you you uh, how fundamentally machine learning development or any ai algorithm development right that you are doing uh, is a state 
it, it has a state in terms of a data. So, it, so every development starts with acquiring certain data, defining a problem statement, using the data, train the model, monitor the model once you put it in production. So data is involved right from word go. So that's where uh, the whole life cycle, right? Whether it's acquiring the data. So, so basically is your data trustworthy, right? Mm -hmm. Is your data repre representative of all your uh, problems or all customer maybe, let's say you are creating a customer uh, survey model. So uh, is it representative of all kind of customers? Do you have enough uh, data available? Are you, uh, so, so acquiring the data, second step being looking at developing your own algorithm, having a centralized environment, because again, a lot of machine learning and especially deep learning technology would require expensive resources like GPU and stuff like that, right? So how do you, how do you, you as an organization uh, optimize this resource utilization in a central manner, right? So that's about providing that centralized DevOps environment or a development environment where you can spin up your own environment. And typically, a lot of data science teams like to experiment with stuff quite often. So, so how do you how do you cater some of those aspects? Once you deploy a certain methodology, test your models, how do you make sure that your model is repeatable? That means the whole process, right, from acquiring data to producing the same result with similar data, right, using similar hardware. How do you make it repeatable so that you are able to reproduce your results over a period of time? And finally, uh, with machine learning. Uh, the AV deployment, the blue-green uh, blue deployment, deploying multiple models of this for the same problem statement, uh, testing it all together in production becomes absolutely necessary because you may or may not rely on one model as you go along. So it, it brings certain kind of challenges all together, and, and there are lots. Of, and, and fortunately or unfortunately, there are a lot of stacks and technologies available, right? And and we work with all kind of customers. Uh, like banks who, who would like to build a specific platform. So for example, one of our customers that we are working with, right? They want to design everything on their on-premise shift environment where uh, they are looking to specifically develop set of services and models that extract data from their documents, right? So that's a very capability specific uh, a platform which is completely on-premise and, and that includes right from OpenShift to Selden to uh, MinIO, those sort of uh, technologies are completely on-premise. Mm -hmm. Now, again, there are customers who have chosen a path where, where their data strategy and security strategy in place with respect to hyperscalers, right? So one of our US telco partners we are working with where uh, what Amit typically said, they came to us with, we have a model, now what? Right, so we are working with them to get the data, uh, connect to their enterprise ecosystem. How does this whole deployment, automation of deployments, uh, monitoring of models, the whole gambit of MLOps, we are trying to work with them and trying to implement that on Azure-based uh, cloud services. Mm -hmm. So I guess uh, there are there are different use cases, different organization, uh, lots of technology we have seen customers going for specific uh, vendors, uh, data robots, iGovZoo, also for their own implementation. So, yeah, the choices are a lot. Space are evolving quite quickly. And, and that's where we always recommend not to stick with a partner or a vendor, but try and adopt an enterprise architecture, which, which is flexible and you can mix and marry a lot of these things. 
Great, great. And and interesting that you mentioned, you know, the whole, say, different aspects, right, from data preparation all the way to deployment and for future monitoring. So is it fair to say that, uh, for example, in layman terms, I, I see data science and that that in itself is a skill set, but the skills that are required to do this span much beyond just data science is what I could understand. So could you talk a little about, or, or am I am I wrong? Is, the, is it the same yes. skill being extrapolated? Uh, no, I think I, I think it's a marriage, a marriage of a lot of skills together. If you if you really ask me, and that's where the, the make that makes it a space more challenging, interesting. It's mm -hmm. width and a depth is mind-boggling, right? Uh, so 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 being a team where we are working with customer with AI and other technologies and implementation of this kind of platforms, right? Uh, we work right things like Apache Spark to uh, Airflow to uh, Microsoft Azure, to uh, AWS clouds, anything and everything, because the technology options are so varied, right? And every customer thinks that their own solutions differently and, and depending on where they are in their journey, right? A lot of customers like to adopt initially hyperscalers. Uh, they realize that uh, sooner or later, there is some cost involved, there is certain time, certain things, certain constraints are there in terms of data security and stuff like that. So the, and and again, I mean, there are models that that you can train on uh, these hyperscalers, right? Uh, using their technology, but in such cases, you don't own the knowledge of training the model. Uh, basically, you uh, so so in such cases, a lot of people come back saying that okay, we have this service which is supposed to do great stuff. It is doing in some cases, but now what do we do? Because you know, it's only forty percent coverage on. So that's where, uh, you know, the choice of technology right from the start and effort becomes really, really important on, on what you choose, right? Whether, whether it's you want to go complete custom, whether you want to write your own R scripts or you want to use hyperscaler services. It really depends on whether you want to use hyperscaler also as a service or as a software platform. So, uh, so I guess there are there are lots of choices, and and those confusions are often visible. Uh, but but I'm glad that we are able to help few customers uh, on those aspects. Amazing, amazing. And I think uh, you did mention of some of the, uh, I think it was some telco customers that you referred to. So can you give a specific example? I think Amit started with one example. Maybe I'll I'll ask you Kaushal to give a specific example of where this is being put to practice. Sure. So I think I think the use cases we started with a lot of to do with uh, field automation. So so how you have different tasks in a telco. So telco has a huge workforce, right? Whether they are in terms of uh, contractors, vendors, or their own employees, right? Mm -hmm. uh, right from digging a hole uh, to 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 doing some jumper connection to somebody's house or to provide layer fiber optic cable. Right, there are lots and lots of tasks are involved, and a lot of works also involved. So, a lot of use cases that we are working with are, are mainly around workforce uh, optimization, mm -hmm. where let's say there are a set of tasks uh, which are probably in millions for a uh, at, at any given point of time for a telco. Right, mm -hmm. how do you deprioritize some of those tasks so that you know you achieve minimum penalties, you are you are adhering proper SLAs, and you are meeting your customer demands. Right, so. So that requires a completely offline kind of a model where we pull millions and millions of tasks that gets created on a daily basis, mm -hmm. uh, look at certain uh, data, uh, build our model to, to change the priority of a task, let's say, 
uh, we realize certain tasks. I mean, most common example being that, you know, certain tasks doesn't have a penalty because we know what kind of task things are like that, right? So can we reprioritize that over somebody else? Or how do you ensure that one person is not getting too many tasks or one particular vendor is not getting too many tasks? And how do you monitor whatever measure, SLA monitors that you do for these vendors? So there is a lot of this enterprise data source that we needed to collect first to start with. So first question is, yeah, we created a model with all this data from five different databases. Now in production, how is it going to work, right? So that's where, uh, and then on top of it, uh, customers were not very clear whether they want to do it on premise, on cloud. Uh, there is business shouting at rooftops saying that we have a model, why can't we deploy it in production? Mm -hmm. So I think that's where we came in. We had few workshops with our customer ask them what is their choices, what is their data security looks like, what is their cloud strategy looks like. Mm. Uh, we started with an on-premise model, pretty much did a lot of things on mm. premise. Then we realized there are some capacity issues in production as we went along with the testing. So we quickly pivoted to de deploy a lot of these things. So I think uh, what I was talking about is like, how did we, we pivot it quickly from an on-premise model to an on-premise? Uh, to off-premise model and how do you get this data there? How do you ensure that you are utilizing best of the Azure resources and you're not over-utilizing things like GPUs? How do you create things like spot instances and things like that, right? So uh, while keeping in mind that every time you develop a model which is managed centrally and gets deployed without much of an engineering intervention. Obviously, right. that, that caters to a lot of enterprise processes, but still having that culture of creating a model, managing that model, deploying that model, and monitoring the results of that model eventually. So I guess uh, that, that that's one of, uh, there, are, there are a few use cases around that particular area that we are doing with this particular customer right now. Got it. Got it. No, thanks. Thanks for that. Maybe I'll I'll come to you, Amit, on you know going a little more on how exactly is Infosys we are we are addressing this space. So if you could just give a quick summary of that. Yeah. So so I think while we are a consulting uh, organization in this space in AI and AI is a, certainly very important from our business perspective. I think we are also a big consumer of AI, right? And if you see in Infosys. Uh, almost every service line that we have now, we have an AI-based offering embedded into it, whether it is a, a vertical service line like a financial services manufacturing or a horizontal service line like a validation or uh, cloud and some of those things, right? So uh, we have actually two things that we want to do within Infosys. One is uh, to actually take these offerings to customers. Our workforce needs to be enabled on AI, right? And to that extent, we want to democratize AI to uh, as much as possible within Infosys. And uh, the second challenge is uh, we want to harness these machine learning models, which are specific to a particular problem statement, whether it is a horizontal or a vertical problem statement, right? And when you want to do all these activities, uh, the constraints are GPU is a very expensive uh, resource, right? So we can ask that like, there are maybe 200,000 plus people, right? And we can ask people to go and buy or hire a GPU, right? And that's very expensive for us, right? And it is not a scalable model. The second thing which you uh, briefly talked about is this multi-skilled ML ops, right? Uh, so we can't have a situation where you need to have a data engineer and a ML engineer and a data scientist working together to create all of these models, right? We want to automate that as much as possible, right? And with that objective in mind, we have actually created a Infosys AI cloud, which is actually democratizing a lot of this AI within Infosys. And what we have set up is a large GPU cluster, 
which has been developed uh, which has been divided into uh, a development gpus a uh, larger gpus which are used for training purpose and another area where we can deploy the models and do the inferencing right and on top of this uh, basic gpu and cpu based infrastructure we have created a open source based mlops stack right so that way if a data scientist comes and he has a piece of code he can just deploy it on that stack and he doesn't need the help of a data engineer or he doesn't need a ai engineer to actually get his model trained and tested and and deployed right so by doing that uh, there is lot of enablement of people and then also once people tune their models or they feel that it is available uh, or it is good they can deploy it onto a store or publish it onto a store and that way it is available to a larger audience within the organization so if anybody in any corner of infosys wants to see what model is available he can just quickly go to the store and and he can explore and that way right so that way we are actually democratizing at a people front and also creating lot of good content that can be published to the people who are in front of customers great and while you were describing this i think and during the course of our conversation i do sense that this also has some interplay with uh, overall ai governance and also the ability of say how do we how do we manage the 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 accuracy of models and the fairness of those models and so on so this whole space of there's also this emerging space of ethical ai or responsible ai does that have any interlinkage with with this topic or these are two separate conversations in themselves yeah i think it is like a sequence right so once you it's like a game when you go from level 1 to level 2 and level 2 to level 3 right so i think so far people have been focused mostly on creating the models and uh, now people are focused on ml ops and deploying these models and scale and we see lot of our customers they realize that the next the game is going to be about ethical ai responsible ai and there is lot of curiosity about again how to implement it at a scale right and responsible ai implementation to a large extent is going to be only possible if you have a good ml ops layer in place because ml ops layers allow you to one create this models in a standardized of life cycle manner and also it allows you to create a repository of all your models right so if you want to enforce any kind of governance responsible ai on top of it i think ml ops will play a basic foundation to enable you to implement some of those principles of course it is a large topic i don't think we can cover it in in this session but certainly the that is a next thing that is that is going to come up in ai after this great great no thanks thanks for that explanation in fact i look forward to maybe recording that as our next conversation uh, in this series but uh, thank you thank you so much amit and koshal uh, i think the topic in itself is is pretty vast from from the sound of it uh, there are multiple things to discuss but i hope our audience did get a get a sense of you know what is ml ops and and why exactly is it relevant and what are what are some of the things that the industry is doing uh once again thank you so much for joining this and uh, we'll we'll definitely be in touch and i look forward to speaking to you next on responsible ai thank you we hope you enjoyed this conversation for more such talks do subscribe to the infosys applied ai podcast on any of your favorite podcast platforms to know more about what we do in this space do visit infosys.com/appliedai And if you happen to have any suggestions or if you feel like joining these conversations do feel free to write to us at appliedai@infosys.com thank you for listening